episode six is here of season three. Can you believe it? Because I can't. In fact, I don't even know what day it is, much less know what episode this is. All I know is that we are dropping another amazing, spectacular, truly, truly great guest today. Brent Timpton joins us all the way from Guam. Now, remind you, we we recorded this about, I don't know, four or five, six months ago. Brent is the head uh, head coach of the Guam national team. I met him uh, while coaching in the FIBA Oceania Championship in the beautiful country of New Caledonia, a French colony just right outside uh, New Zealand and Australia. And what I marveled about Brent was, first of all, his basketball knowledge, but also how much he cared about his team and about Guam, but also his passion for his family and where he wants to go in his coaching career. I want you to sit back, take some notes. He is a brilliant basketball mind, but what makes him even better is as a person, a father, a man of God, he is unbelievable. Enjoy Brent, guys. Guys, before we get started, I want to talk to you about the power of gratitude. It is the missing superpower when it comes to our players, our coaches, our family members, everyone. You know, so I encourage you to head over to HernandoPlanels.com. We've put together a great 30-day gratitude journal called the High Performing Gratitude Journal. It's designed for your athletes, for your coaches, for your people to increase performance each and every day. You are going to unleash the power of gratitude and you will reach levels in your life that you can't even imagine. So head over to the website, HernandoPlanels.com. Hope you pick it up and I'll talk to you soon. Yes, you have joined the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. And today, just like I said in the intro, we've got an amazing guest coming to you all the way from the beautiful island of Guam. I met him when uh, my New Zealand team played in the FIBA Oceania Championship, and I thought his basketball mind was great, but his faith and his heart is gold. So today we got Brent Tipton, man, the coach of Guam, man. How you doing? Man, thank you for having me on. You you hype everybody up so much. And man, you, you say some things that, you know, maybe not necessarily true, but thank you for that introduction. You, you're you awesome. And I'm doing well, man. It's early in the morning here, but when we're talking hoops and talking faith and talking basketball, I, I can get up at any time of the day. Oh, man. I tell you what, I, I, you know, for those who don't know you, if you don't mind giving the elevator spiel of who you are. So, uh, you know, in a roundabout way, um, I'm a basketball coach, but kind of view basketball as a tool to coach young men, not necessarily coach the sport. Uh, so that's kind of the, you know, the underdriving uh, thing for me. Um, I play Division Three basketball uh, in Wisconsin at Northern International University. And as bad as I was at a Division Three, I, I sat the bench. So, you know, that's kind of like where my athletic ability was, but... I learned so many lessons um, sitting the bench. And you know, I, I tell people now that I was not a good teammate. I was very selfish. Um, but I learned through those things of how to be a great teammate and how to, um, you know, give of myself because I didn't do that. And so I sat the bench in Division Three, learned a lot of great life lessons, had great coaches. Um, and then I, I uh, got married three weeks after I – um, graduated from college and my wife had been out on Guam before and she's like, Hey, you know, we're going to get married. You want to move to Guam? I'm like, yeah, sure. Is, is that my Vietnam? And I didn't know where it was. So I, uh, so, okay. So we moved out here. You know, I like basketball. I got, I just practiced with the national team. 
Um, and then just found myself in 2012 coaching the under 18 national team. And since then, I have coached maybe six or seven different youth national teams, uh, the head coach for the women's national team, uh, currently the assistant coach for the men's senior national team as we're in FIBA Asia Cup. And you know, I've had different opportunities on the side. I graduated from the FIBA Europe coaching certificate, which is Europe's most prestigious basketball coaching, you know, clinic and, and situation. And then uh, just working with the basketball embassy uh, in Europe, doing, uh, helped with the FIBA Youth Development Project in Bulgaria, uh, did some camps in Turkey, um, did some camps in Romania. So, I mean, basketball has taken me places I didn't think um, that I've ever would ever go, but just really thankful for the opportunity to be around something that I love and do it on a daily basis. Man, that's awesome. You're like a basketball savant, you know, and I really... <laughs> I, don't, I could honestly tell you, I don't know what savant means, except for the fact that I've used it before in recruiting. So I thought it was a really good word to just spill it out there right now. You know, if we say big words that we don't know the meaning <laughs> to, it makes us look smarter. So I don't know what the word means either, but man, that's like a cool, I'm, I'm putting that and I'm going to use that savant. I like that. <laughs> now, okay. So let's go back. Like, so you get to Guam, right? And, and for the, you know, the listeners who don't know where Guam is, Quickly tell where that is and talk about your first impression. Now, did you grow up in Wisconsin? I grew up in Missouri in the Midwest. And oh, I went to yeah. a camp in Wisconsin. That's and that's why I went there. And man, Wisconsin was like negative 20 and negative 30. So I was like, I gotta get somewhere warm. Um, but <laughs> you know, Guam is uh it's a dot in the South Pacific, it's in the My or Mariana Islands chain, it's a territory of the United States. It's about three hours um, east of the Philippines, um, and it's seven hours west of Hawaii. So, I mean, we're just like in the middle of nowhere. Um, and my first impression of it, my, my wife had showed me pictures of the tourist district, Tuman, and I saw all these like hotels and nice palm trees. It looked like Los Angeles, and it was so cool. And before they did some renovation by the airport, there was like these rundown apartments that nobody lived in. All the windows were broken out and, you know, the grass was overgrown and we're driving by the, um, by these apartments on our way to our house. I look at her and it's like, what did you get me into? I, I, we can't live here. I can't live this. I can't live on Guam. We came with two suitcases each. We get to our house and I tell her, I was like, don't buy anything that you can't put back in those suitcases because we're leaving it in one year. And 12 years later, we're still here. So, you know, those two suitcases turn into two different houses and a, and a, and a child and a house. So I can't complain. The, so, all right. And, and I got to paint this picture because I think people really have to understand. You grew up in middle America, right? So I'm going to say diversity was okay, not great. Right? No, no, no diversity. <laughs> and then you you go to college in Wisconsin, which is probably the same, and then you go to the middle of the Pacific. I mean, talk about some of the lessons that you've learned over that time. Man, you know, um, you know, I I'm a believer that God puts you where he wants you, and where he puts you 10 years ago is there, there's a reason why he puts you in a place 10 years ago. And it's so that you can learn lessons to get to where you are today. Mm. And the lessons that I'm learning today are gonna help me 10 years down the road. And so, I mean, getting to Guam and the lessons that I've learned here, um, you know, 
it's been quite amazing that I've been able to be in a situation that's kind of smaller. So I can make mistakes and, you know, I can learn from those mistakes. Um, but just being able to be here on Guam has been able to provide opportunity, um, you know, in the international stage. So in FIBA Oceana opportunities to, to meet really, you know, some of the world's best coaches. Um, and then just from a tiny island, island, even though there's really no network of coaching here, being able to, to meet coaches like yourself and uh, get to know you and, and learn from you, what you, you share and, and the generosity you have with your sharing. Uh, so Guam, even though it's small, um, there's always great opportunity if you're seeking for it. And that's exactly what you know, Guam has been able to provide uh, for me. Well, thank wow. you for that. I, I'd say, you know, the, I think a lot of people don't realize the openness that you have, you know, the, uh, the, the gratitude that comes from sacrifice, from being open, really opens the door to celebrating what's, what's going on. Um, in that year, you know, when you first got to Guam and you're like, listen, we're leaving in a year, so don't you dare buy a thing, right? Yeah. During yeah. that year, what changed? What did you see where like every day just kind of became like, all right, God, I'm listening and I'm hearing you, but you seriously? You know, it's basketball. I mean, that's the only reason why I, I, I met up with the, the, the former national coach. I was so bad that he's like, Hey, just, I can't just practice with you guys. Like I just want to be around the game. And I start meeting people in the basketball community and you know, when you create relationships, then your view of things change. And, you know, when you start getting deeper relationships, then, you know, you start having meaningful conversations. And when you start having meaningful conversations, um, then you can be open and transparent and then kind of vulnerable. And then that just creates that trust. And that's kind of what's happened, you know, in the last couple of years here on Guam. And, you know, it's really the process of, you know, falling in love with the place and making it your home. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I've lived in, in several different countries and there's so many lessons you could, you could learn from it. So you, you started, you were there, you were teaching. Is that, is that what you're doing as well too? Both you and your wife are teaching? That's correct. Yes. yes. Okay. So you're teaching, it's, it's a brand new place. Um, as you progressed and you said you, you met a lot of different people, um, talk a little bit about what that changed in your soul. Cause I, I, I know you're definitely a man of faith um, and there's a transformation that happens when you are open to it. Talk about that a little bit. You know, I, I think we, we can talk about other people that we meet um, and be thankful for that. But I think the biggest transformation in my heart has everything to do with my wife and just how, um, you know, how loving she is and how giving she is, how supportive she is. Uh, through mistakes, through um, schedules. Um, so I think like, you know, that's been the biggest transformation for me is, you know, I think that wherever you're at, your family is your rock. And uh, it's, you know, you could be in any country and, you know, we've traveled together and we've been apart, you know, for periods of time. But I think like that right there is the transformation with my, with my wife and my family. Um, and, you know, just being thankful and trying to be intentional with being authentic in relationships as well. Mm. And, you know, just 
being transparent, but I think it all also goes back to being vulnerable and just, you know, that transparency and that authenticity, again, creates that trust, which can transform any relationship. Right. And, and it really goes and it spills over to your players. And, you know, I, I as I mentioned earlier, we met at the FIBA Oceana Championship um, in the country of New Caledonia. And I had no idea where New Caledonia was. In fact, I was trying to figure out how my American cell phone was going to work down there. And there was no information. It was about like French and the Japanese and Australians and New Zealanders. They were all I was like, great. I'm I don't know what I'm going to do with my cell phone. But it was a great experience. But when I was there, you know, I met a lot of different coaches. And what I loved about you watching the way you coached your guys is that you coached them, you demanded them from them, but you love them. You know, there was there was a great sense. It doesn't matter who you were playing from Australia to Tahiti. You know, you were still there. Talk about your coaching philosophy. Has that transformed? Has that grown? Talk about that a little. Man, it's it, and it's tough to coach against New Zealand and Australia when Aaron Fern comes up to you and says, you know, you did really good against Australia, but you actually didn't really do very well. I look at him like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're playing too fast. Your pace is too fast. You're out of control. I'm like, okay. So I went back and watched the film and I was like, you know, we hit 13 threes against Australia. To me, I'm like, man, that's good. And then he comes but the next day. He's like, we're going to lock down on you and you're not going to score a whole lot today. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> you know, he's telling me his game plan and that's exactly what they did, man. They deed us up, but you know, so I, I, I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's so important if there's even a coach that's listening but even just, you know, just a talk between me and you, um, I think the coach who knows how to manage his people first or manage his team uh, knows how to needs to know how to manage his power. So as coaches, we have power. And just like you said, like, yeah, we coach them hard and we hold them accountable. But at the end of the day, uh, we love them. And I think we just we need to know our team and the ins and outs of our team just as much as we need to know the ins and outs of the sport we coach. So like, just like you said, before we got on, you meet with your, your players once a week. And I think that's so important to, to continue that relationship building. And I think, you know, the underlying thing of all this uh, coaching, a healthy coach's mindset is just remembering that coaches, coaching is all about the players. It's, it's never about me. And so I know a lot of people are familiar with this coach, coach centered philosophy with an athlete centered philosophy um, I've kind of made the shift from both of those to more of a needs-based coaching philosophy. So more of like a needs-based would be coaching. Obviously a coach-centered philosophy is you do it my way or the highway. And then, you know, that basically a coach who has that philosophy only knows one way. And so that's why they say it's my way or the highway. Athlete-centered can be kind of skewed where, you know, it, you may be like hands off laissez-faire. You let the players do what they want to do all the time, which is not what coaching is, but more of a needs-based coaching philosophy. So I always ask the question, what does the situation demand versus what do I demand? So my, my thing may be, you know, I want the player to do this, but, you know, behaviorally or skill-wise, skill he's not there yet. And so it's my job to come by and to, to help teach that and then underlying with that is to be, um, you know, to be open to his feedback on, on what I'm giving him as a coach. So the two things that I, I tell our players is my positional power as a coach versus my personal power as a coach. And obviously 
personal power as a coach is my relationship building with the players as opposed to this positional power, which is I have this authority over you as a coach, you do what I say. And so that's kind of like the underline of my coaching philosophy. We can get in deeper if you would like, but knowing my positional power versus my, my personal power and being very cognizant that I need to be exercising personal power as I'm, as I'm reaching my players. Mm. I love that you talk about power because, but you talk it in a way where it's not a dictatorship. Um, You're not like ruling with an iron fist. So that's when you, like when you're coming from that place of power, talk about how you keep yourself in check to understand both, especially when there's so many different things. First of all, I'm not surprised what Aaron said to you because, but he says that to everybody. (laughs) I'm not surprised, (laughs) but but talk about that, like where that, that comes in, because stress gets involved, you know, right. when you're trying to win and you're like, why aren't they playing well? Talk about the balance there and, and what you're noticing. Man, that's, that's great. I think the underlying thing is trying not to manipulate players hmm. and not trying not to control their behavior, but trying to, to teach, to, to teach rather than expect them to just always perform. And so I think it comes down to how we communicate as a coach and a couple of things that help us communicate as a coach are what's our word choice. Um, what's our feedback to players? I mean, what's the timing of our feedback? So as a word choice, is it short descriptive visual cues or are we, are we long winded? Um, the timing of our feedback can be, you know, the player makes a mistake. We, we get on them right away. We, we correct that behavior or we, 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 uh, um, we correct that technical, tactical error. Um, and then the tone of our feedback. I think we need to always be aware of the emotional need of the player versus how we feel in the moment. Because we may be boiling inside because that player made a mistake, but then we also got to go back and understand that that player has a psychological side to how they're thinking. Players are not going to make mistakes on purpose. And then it comes back to it comes to our tone, how we're going to address the situation, and then it comes to our body language. As everybody knows, body language is the best communicator, and so being strong in our body language, but not uh, showing that we are upset through our body language when a player makes a mistake, and then facial gestures, just smiling <laughs> and being happy that you're a coach, and showing the players that you enjoy the process with them, and then. Sometimes as well, we can communicate through our just being silent. And silence does mean approval. And so just stepping back away from the players and just letting them perform. And so that kind of comes to back to personal power. Having personal power and that relationship with players is the best communicator for coaches. And so that would be, you know, how I would lead. And then this is one, one piece that I'm working on as a, as a coach, and I'm not the best at it, but it is one powerful word that all of us coaches can do better, myself included, and that's the word listen. Mm. Just listen to our players. And so this last maybe six months, I've been trying to coach by asking questions as opposed to just telling players what to do. So getting their feedback. Um, I love stoicism and, and I love the philosophy. So I try to read as much as, as I can on that. Socrates's favorite question is why, mm. why? And it's so powerful. It, it's so 360 dimensional that it can, you know, you can, you can answer that, you know, you can be arrogant as a coach and be like, you shouldn't be asking me why do as I say, 
or we can use that question of a player asking why and really dive into his thought process or her thought process and get to understand what makes that player tick. Or if that player doesn't understand, um, them asking why uh, would show, and me respond correctly to that why shows my personal power. It doesn't, you know, it takes away that positional power that I, that some coaches are used to. So um, I think it's important that you allow players to ask why. And I think that that gives you another opportunity to communicate back to your player or to communicate back to your player um, in the coaching process. I'd say you are dropping dimes today, Brent. Listen, you just went ahead and talked about tonality, word choice, listening. All right. First of all, those are all valuable, not just in coaching, but right with your partner, with your employees, like everything. Like it's, it's what we say, how we say it. I love the questioning. And then you're talking about Socrates. Or when I was in eighth grade, I call him Socrates yeah. because I had to do, <laughs> how about this for, for this, uh, this tie-in story? When I was in eighth grade, we had to do like a story, like a speech about somebody. And I didn't know who to do. I was so indecisive at that time. In fact, I'm probably very indecisive now. So I'm like, well, who should I do this on? So all of a sudden, I think like a classmate of mine or maybe my mom was like, maybe you should do it on this guy, uh, Socrates. I was like, okay, sure. So here I am in eighth grade doing a speech on a guy that I have no idea who he was. And then he comes back later on in my life because I read a book. I forgot his name. It's the guy who does the Daily Stoic. You would like him, actually. Oh, not no. What is, is it? Ryan Holiday. Yeah, yeah. Do you read his stuff? Oh yeah, I love Ryan Holiday. Yeah, yeah. he, he's yeah. So I have two of his books, and I remember I was like, why do I know Socrates? And then I was like, oh shoot, because I was the bright young guy who did in eighth grade did a story on him. I don't know what I'm I, doing with my life. <laughs> I knew there was something different about you in eighth grade. I think I was reading Bearsting Bears or something like that. So. <laughs> You know, I knew there was something good about you. <laughs> I will take that. I will absolutely take that. Real yes. quickly. Okay, so so this is your coaching philosophy. Your All of those details that are so important. Talk about the study of that, meaning where did you get all that stuff from? Oh, yeah. What, okay. You know, the study behind it, because I think what's happening is that coaching is in a weird place. It's evolving, and there's some that don't want it to evolve. There's some, well, actually, there's still a lot of us who coach the way we were coached and led, mm-hmm. they lead the way we were led. So, so there's this crossover with it. Talk about the background and how you developed this and embraced it in many ways, because it goes against how we're raised, how we're taught, everything. Yes. Man, you know, I, I'm, as, I t- as I said before, I'm not really that smart. And I, I think we, before we got on, we talked about, we talked about that. So I read an, a, a ridiculous amount. And the reason why is because, you know, I was listening to a podcast. Um, and by the way, your podcast is, I, I went back and I've listened to a lot of your episodes and you're dynamite, man. The way you connect with your, your audience and with your, the, your, your people is, is amazing. But oh, man. Thank you. I read a ridiculous amount because I, I really, I, I, I'm not, I don't know, maybe it's a lack of common sense. I don't know, but I read a lot. And so I've, I'm also getting my master's in sports science with an emphasis on sports coaching. So a lot of it's required reading. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I've taken away is a lot of Ryan Holiday. Um, 
I read a book by this is this is a, a kind of a crazy thing. I went to Barnes and Noble last summer and I needed a book because I was traveling. I had some books on my phone, but I don't like being on my phone. So I went to Barnes and Noble, I went straight to the sports section. I saw all these basketball books. I don't want to read an autobiography on Carmelo Anthony. So I found this one book called Coaching the Mental Game by H.A. Dorfman. And I read that book. It's thick and it's kind of dry, but it is packed with amazing thoughts on how we can relate to players mentally. I bought that book and it is so highlighted up. It is my number one favorite coaching book. So if you're looking for coaching material, coaches, Coaching the Middle Game by H.A. Dorfman, incredible. Um, and then this, uh, I read also um, John Wooden and Swen Nader's book, You Haven't Taught Until They Have Learned. And that really kind of showed me, wow, I, you know, I think I'm doing some really good things as a coach, but my players aren't really retaining that information. Mm-hmm. And so between those two books and then uh, Growth Mindset, obviously, by Carol Dweck and Grit by Angela Duckworth, kind of like more on the, the hardworking mindset side have been very influential. Um, and then uh, just trying to get on as many podcasts as I can to just to learn. So Mark Bennett from England, I think he's from England. He's with the PDS uh, coaching he coaches a lot about uh, how to have this athlete-centered or needs-centered uh, coaching philosophy. And he's with Alan King, who is the Great Britain under-18 national coach. Mm-hmm. So anytime they're putting out information, I'm reading that information because I it resonates with me because I don't want coaching to be about me. And, and that's the thing with coaching. We put in this special set because it's about us. We want to look smart. We right. want to validate right. we know what we're doing. And so, but I, I want to take that piece out as even though like every day I fight that ego, mm-hmm. I want to take that out because I can't reach players if I, if I'm focused on my own path or my own, what I want people to view me, I try to take that out. So that's been kind of, kind of the backdrop to why I've researched and tried to study this. Um, and you know what, I think you would agree with even yourself. We have never arrived. We're always becoming and just having that, that word in the, the back of our minds, just, just trying to become in that process and loving that process of just studying and getting better. So I don't have the answers all the time. And I, you know, you know, I'm just trying to study and just get better. So that would be right. the, I guess the backdrop to that question. Well, I, and I, what I love about it is, is this, right? You are going deeper into coaching um, into development and communication and connection um, in a basketball environment that doesn't necessarily have a deep grassroots program, such as, you know, in the States or even Australia. I know in New Zealand, we, we really don't have one. We're trying to build it up. But even like Japan or Korea or China. So you are getting players who are playing a lot outside, playing a lot against the same people because of, of where Guam is. So what are some things that, that you have seen, maybe two or three things on how you've been able to develop the players from, you know, the teaching to learning, absorbing? You mean my own, my own players? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, when, when, I, when a player comes to, into my program, I want him to, to step away from, you know, at the end of the season or after the end of a tour or after the end of a window to be like, to understand um, that I empowered him. And that means when, 
when he's making choices that he he knows that if that if he makes a mistake, I'm going to coach him. And if, if he if he does something really well, I'm going to praise him. And and I want my players to understand that. And we talk constantly about um, that specific phrase. If you guys are going to do something well, I'm going to coach you. And then we we kind of tie back behind that phrase that correction is not criticism. I don't I stole that term. I don't know where I got it from, but I've stole it because it just resonates so much with me that I don't want players to view coaching as the coaches criticizing their choices. Mm. And so I always say that I'm coaching you. I'm not correcting you. And so I guess that's kind of when, when players come to, to, you know, when they're under our program, that's what I want them to take away from it. Um, I think that, you know, when we get into a team, I, I do think that coach or players are always going to perform at the level of our expectation. And so giving them that expectation and then allowing them to fail to not meet that expectation because players are not going to be perfect. There's so many variables. Um, but I think some of the things that we can always expect of them to be almost perfect are things like their consistency, always working hard, always having a great, uh, being a great teammate, always having that energy and enthusiasm. And Fernando, one thing I stole from you, you would never know this, but we want our bench to be the best bench in the league. And that, that's something that I learned from you. And I'd always go back to, Hey, you know, Fernando from New Zealand, the under 17 uh, girls coach said this, and it, it has resonated with me because those players at the end of the bench, we need to care for number 12 just as much as we care for number one. And I think that if we can paint the picture that, hey, let's have the best bench in this game, let's not have their their bench outperform us as far as our energy and enthusiasm, not like execution and skill, but being a great teammate, stand up and cheering, you know, giving a high five, getting a touch. I think that goes a long way with just establishing um, power for players to have. They need to feel that they are powerful um, and, and that they can play through mistakes. And I think even at the youth level, it's easier at the professional level, not so much because you're going to get a paycheck. But, you know, I think that's what, where players need to feel. And especially when they're under me, I want them to feel that, that power. Right. Yeah, it, yeah, that is true. I did. We did talk about that, you know, having the best bench because that, that's connecting and that's competition. That is, you're right. You're keeping right. the end of your bench engaged, even if they're not playing. And then they become um, like a, a great, um, a, a great energy, right? A great conduit of, of that energy. And I, th- I don't know if I told you this. I probably did, but yeah, when we were FIBA Oceania, I, I showed video of all these college basketball benches, and I said, "This is what we have to be." And I don't care if we're playing Australia um, or anybody. So, so all of a sudden, like we're doing this. And FIBA warned us because they thought that we were like showboating. And I was like, no, no, that's, that, that's not exactly what we were doing. Like we're focused on us because, you know, when you right. play different teams, you have to be the same level. You, I'm a big believer that, okay, great. So we're going to play Australia. So now we're going to get pumped up and excited. No, no. Whoever we play, it, we're not worried about the opponent. We're worried about ourselves on how we progress and and get better at everything else. So I, but I'm I'm glad you you've instilled it because it's huge, man, isn't it? It you know, it goes back to being energy givers, and the best way to be an energy giver is to well, 
I tell the players the most powerful thing that you can do to be an energy giver is to put your hands together or to put your hand up for somebody to touch. And I feel like those are two things that you can be an energy giver by clapping for the success of your teammate because you know it's going to come back to you. Um, and then just giving a, a high five or a touch. And then obviously the opposite of that is being an energy taker. And I think the, the, the worst thing for a bench is when a player sits back and slouches. Um, and so that's just the behavior that we're always monitoring in our benches. Hey, don't slouch, sit up, you know, have a big chest um, and just be engaged. Right. right. And, and that's so true. I, I spoke, uh, I did a um, pregame talk with Long Island, Brooklyn women's team. I, I drove four hours. Their head coach is Rini Haynes, who was coaching with me when I was at Duke. And I did a whole thing about, you know, 284 touches. Like that's what Steve Nash did. And I had yeah. to dance in the video and all that stuff to get them all hyped. But yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's like, it's so, it's so true. You know, when you have a connection with someone and that's the thing, when you can establish a connection with your, your teammate, with your player, with your partner, with your employee, the sooner you do it, the sooner they're more accessible. And that goes back to being vulnerable um, and everything else that you, you talked about earlier. Um, you know, Coaching is one of those occupations or jobs that, and what, what I love, and I'm going to backtrack, what I love about you, Brent, is that you are a student of the game, meaning, you know, I think coaching sometimes gets looked at that anybody can be a coach, right? But being a coach is the same as being a doctor, all right? In some ways, you're saving lives, mm -hmm. but the other thing, you are always sharpening your knife, you're getting better with your craft and everything else. I know you talk about reading books and everything. Um, what are some things that you continue to do over time? I know podcast books are your thing, but how do you sharpen yourself, not as a coach, as a man, as a husband, as a father? That is an incredible question. And I would say before I answer the question, I am probably a failure more than I am successful in this area, but you know, as a, as a man and as a husband and as a father, I think you can't, you can't view life separate of those, of those three things. Like you can't be good and can't be intentional and authentic in any other part of your life if you're not authentic at home and if you're not the same person to your wife and you're not the same husband or uh, father to your son. And I think that everything starts at home and who you are when nobody's watching and, and who you are when the people who know you best, which is my wife and my son, how I respond to them and, and the patience that I have with them and the patience that I give them and the at intentional attention that I give them, that that won't transfer to any other part of my life. And so my wife, if, if she ever listens to this podcast, um, <laughs> she may be like, you said this now and now you have to do it. But, you know, it's it's um, some of the things that we do um, is we uh, we limit our phones like we're just not on our phones um, certain parts of the day for extended periods of the day just because we want to be fully present with my son. Um, but then kind of going back to as a man, my wife had challenged me uh, to read a proverb a day um, mm. just last week. And so. That's something that we were trying to do as a family, but you know, that's just reading, reading the scripture or, you know, reading some like books like uh, on stoicism and how to respond to things you just don't, that kind of eat at you uh, and, and, and having correct responses. Those are kind of some things that I do to 
better myself as a as a as a man. And I think it also kind of on the non-spiritual side, but meditation and really uh, focusing on mindfulness is something that I try to do daily, as well as journal, which I'm not the best at journaling, but I do think that that kind of helps with solidifying thoughts. With my wife, um, it's uh, she went and got me coffee this morning. I told you I was out of coffee. She went to get me coffee, and I just texted her, man, you are such a blessing to, to, to get coffee for me. It was like 5.05 in the morning when she did that. And I gave her a little emoji with the kiss, you know, with the heart yeah. and <laughs> just something like that. She, she responded back and she's like, that really just made my day. And, you know, I think sometimes we're so consumed with ourselves that we just don't give and just a word of encouragement can go a long way. With my son, um, he is four years old. We're trying to instill in him a work ethic and a growth mindset. So we went on a hike yesterday. He jumped off a 12 foot cliff and he's four years old. He's like, He's like one foot tall. He's so tiny. Um, but he jumped off of it and he gets out. He's like, I love that. That was so hard because we had to hike up this like mountain to get back up to the top. And we have a phrase that we say is hard things are, and then he repeats good things. And so we're just trying to instill in him to, to want to have a challenge and to want to do hard things. And then nothing takes the place of spending quality time. And so that's just been some things that we've been trying to do as a family. I mean, there's times just like everybody else that we are on our phones too much. We watch one show too much. Um, we respond in impatience one time too many. Um, but I think it's, you know, going back and knowing that each day is the reset button and we can do better the next day. Right. Tell me again what, what you do with, with your son. You say one thing and he says what? So we want him to have a growth mindset as a kid right. and, to, and to want challenges because even we can, as a kid, if we can help him see that, you know, it's not too hard. This is not too hard for me. We started saying hard things are good things and as simple and as maybe dumb as that sounds, he has bought into it. So if something is really challenging, he'll just slump back and he'll be like, ah, it's too hard. I quit. And then we'll say, okay, Soren, hard things are and then sometimes he'll be go, he'll go bad things, you know, because he'll get back at us. But, you know, hard things are good things. And we just want him to accept the challenge at such a young age and to work hard and have that work ethic. I love that. I, I, I love that. I, mine was a little more aggressive with my kids. You know, I have a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old. And it was always like we're never going to say the word can't. Like we're just not going to do it. And yeah. anytime you say it, you have to stop wherever you are and do 10 push-ups. All right. So, and this was at a young age. And yeah. so as they grew up, it doesn't matter where we were. We could be at the supermarket and my son are like, Oh, I can't get it. Oh, whoa. Did someone say can't I'm like, all right, fine. They just, you know, knock out 10 push-ups at the time. And even when I got divorced, my ex-wife moved back to California. I stayed in North Carolina because I was at Duke. And, uh, and, and even then I talked to them on the phone and they say, can't, they're like, hold on, dad. And they <laughs> knock out their 10 push-ups yes. um, and if it, but then they become really smarter, especially my daughter. Cause my daughter one day and she said, yeah, dad, I, hmm, I am unable hey. at this time. I was like, Oh, you, Oh, you unbelievable. Learned. Yeah. But A million push-ups later, she learned. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it is, it is great. And, and I love, you know, I love that you sent that to your wife with the emoji and everything, because I have found 
that when you're in a relationship for a while, for a long time, you know, you get in that comfort zone that you just kind of forget. It's not intentional. You just kind of forget the things that got you to that great place and with everything. So I, I love all that, man. That's definitely something I have to do better, which is probably why I'm usually single all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, man. You're so electric. You know, your personality is so electric. And that smile, man, is <laughs> a million bucks. Seriously. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because you know what? And I'm glad you talk about meditation. So for me, I am someone who, like, I, I remember everything. And, and that's not a great thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and my ego gets in the way. And one of the reasons why I speak about my, my open failures and my divorce and the vulnerabilities and my failed relationships um, on and off the court is because it, is, it helps me. It reminds me what I need to do. So I'm not great at journaling either. I have a gratitude journal, but I've noticed that I only write in it when I'm not in a relationship. So, and I realized that when I get in a relationship, I just stop writing it. For some reason, maybe I said, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. So it's those things that that bring me back, get me back to center. Um, I meditate as well too. Um, I visualize and all these things mm-hmm. that are so important for our mind health because our mind, right. we're, we're in a battlefield um, on our mind mm-hmm. with everything else. Um, you, uh, you, talk, you know, you talk about health, like you're, you know, you're a healthy guy. Like you in New Caledonia, you had your TRX and you went to like a rusty old soccer thing. I, by the way, it sounds like I was, I'm like a creeper and I'm like watching yeah. you, everything you're doing. Um, I just Don't love worry, I was watching you. you too. Don't worry, it goes right back to you. <laughs> so how important is health, exercise, eating to you and how you keep your mind clear? You know, that's a great question. I think it's something that's always overlooked. I used to work out and lift because I wanted to look good, <laughs> but I'm at an age now to where I don't care how I look. Like I, I think I might've torn my meniscus a bit. So I'm like, I can't do some of the stuff that I'd like to. Now it just comes back to that is, that's part of my mindfulness that yesterday, I, I don't know if I should share this, but uh, you know, I'm just me and my wife are praying about future things. Mm-hmm. And usually I'm listening to a podcast. I've been listening to you for like the last week and a half on podcasts. And I'm working out, but I'm like, today, I'm not going to, I'm not listening to anything. I'm going to pray while I work out. And I've never done that before. Mm. And I prayed specifically for one thing. And that I worked out yesterday around the 8 a.m. at 10.51, I get an email. And it's not like this opportunity. It's just an answer to that prayer. Right. And so, um, so as simple as that may seem, like working out for me is because when I'm 44, 345. I want to be able to, to run with my son when he's 15 on the basketball court. I want to have a good quality of life. I want to, in coaching, you need to be able to relate with players physically. And I want to continue doing that. And I, I don't want a player to look at me and be like, okay, he's, he's 45. He lost it. I mean, and so I try to stay in shape because I know when I'm 45 and, and 13 years from now, I want to not just you know, I'm not going to win a physique contest, but I want to be able to perform a certain way. Eating healthy for me is, is more of like what gives me happiness. I feel super guilty when I eat ice cream, although I had a bowl of ice cream last night. Um, and then, you know, the whole mindfulness is the whole part of anxiety. I don't think people identify anxiety and I don't think they admit that they have it. Mm. And anxiety is such a, 
a detrimental thing to relationships. It could be detrimental to my, my own marriage. And so meditation and just being mindful, box breathing, visualization, uh, getting quiet for 15 minutes, closing your eyes or going for a walk like you did this morning right. is something that can save, will save my relationship. And, I, and, I, and I'm with you. Relationships are not my strong point. I'm just married to an amazing woman. And that's the only reason why. Not to say that other people's partners aren't amazing, but I'm just going to say right now that my wife is so giving and so, you know, so she's, she was for me. Like she was made for me. And I don't know if I was necessarily made for her because of how I am, but I'm so thankful for her. So that's kind of like more of an, an emotional side of myself, but I'm just, you know, I'm thankful for, uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of, Long-winded answer to your question. So sorry about that. Listen, man, I, what, what I love about everything, our whole talk right now for the last 45 minutes, all centers, and we haven't even talked about it because we're running out of time, but gratitude. Like your gratitude level is off the charts from obviously your wife, your son, your family, Guam, the opportunities, um, God. I mean, all those things, that is what I think people are, are forgetting and it's so easy, right? Gratitude is hard. I know there's this thing like the attitude of gratitude, but right. you need more than that. Like you have to practice gratitude, the habits of gratitude, which propels you um, to, to just another level, man. So that's awesome. And, you know, there, I, I've, never, I, I've never been really told that, but, you know, we're all, I, I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but we're all, we're all a nobody. We're just, I'm just a human being. And, you know, some human beings are put in the spotlight a little bit more than others, but, you know, I'm just a human and, and I'm just really, you know, thankful that God chooses fit to use me in the smallest way that he's used me. Um, and it's, you know, it's not anything profound or big. It's just, you know, it's one life touching one life. And, and it's, that, that's just kind of how I view it. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, last question. This is what everybody waits for, man. And you know what's coming since you are a frequent listener to the BCLE. All right, so when they make your movie, full feature on the Netflix or Hulu, who is playing you? I woke up. That's the first thing I thought of this morning when I woke <laughs> up. <laughs> I roll out of bed. It's 4.30, and I'm like, okay. Who is going to play me? I don't know. That's such a great question, and it's so unique to you. I love it. You know, from a distance, my hair is a little longer now, but from a distance, people have said I look like Steve Kerr, and I think it's because it's just because I'm white, and I've, and I've been told that so many times. So if Steve Kerr out there can, like, play in a movie, then maybe because, you know, I have a big nose. Not that he has a big nose, <laughs> but because I have a big nose, maybe that's the reason why. And then, you know, I've always loved Owen Wilson. I just like how yeah, smooth man. he is and his humor is kind of kind of dry sometimes, but, you know, and he's really just down to earth. And so maybe Owen Wilson, like if, sorry if, you, if listeners don't like Owen Wilson. No, but I love it. He's, he's, he's one of my favorite guys. I love it. I actually, I like, I like both. Owen Wilson would be great, but Steve Kerr, I don't know if you've seen the video. There is a video where he is, um, this lady is pregnant. And, you know, I think they, they call someone to do the breathing techniques. I forgot what they're called. So she calls. Midwife, right? And, yeah. And it's Steve <laughs> Kerr. And Steve no Kerr is the one who's like doing the breathing. And she's like, wait, aren't you Steve Kerr? 
He's like, yeah, yeah, but that's not, you know, are you breathing? How are you feeling? Like it was, I got to send it to you. It is, uh, it is awesome. awesome. Coach, can you let people know where they could find you, where they could reach you? Because I'm sure a lot want to go ahead and dive deep into your career and what you've done and just the the special impact you've made in Guam, but also in your family and being a dad. Sure. My email is coachbtipton, all together, no no space, coachbtipton at gmail.com. And my Twitter handle is the same, Coach B Tipton. Oh, that's perfect branding. That's actually really better. I have like four different names on all my social media networks. So it's <laughs> you all... see, again, I'm not smart, but that's the one thing that I've done that's <laughs> smart. <laughs> uh, well, Brent, man, thanks so much for joining us. Um, you know, again, he's people are listening to you. Don't understand? It's 4:50 in the afternoon here on the East Coast. And what time is it there in Guam? Now it's 6:50. It is 6:50 in the morning. The next day, right? That's the thing that people don't don't quite understand, man. But Brad, man, thanks so much for coming. It is an honor that you you know you got up early and you decided to come on the BCLE, man. It is awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Fernando, for having me. I appreciate what you're doing, man. Respect you a lot. Respect you a lot. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. How about that story, coming all the way from Missouri to Guam? Brent is a tremendous human being. I highly encourage you to go ahead and reach out to him on Twitter, on email, or whatever else you feel is a great way to reach out. Again, as I mentioned in the beginning, his basketball mind is tremendous. I watch his Twitter and I get great ideas uh, for my own personal team. But also, what I love is his heart, right? His As you can tell, he just loves the game, and he loves his family, he loves opportunity, and he's willing to go anywhere and everywhere to go ahead and make an impact for the people around him. And that's pretty much what Be Contagious is all about. So I appreciate you coming on, Brent. You know, head over to iTunes. I ask this all the time. Please head over, rank us, rate us, let us know how we're doing. And I tell you what, we're getting some more great reviews on the High Performing Gratitude Journal. I want you to go ahead, head over to Hernando Planel's Click on the book. You'll find it. You'll find great different ways to purchase it. It will get there. Buy it for you and your team. We truly feel it's going to make a huge impact. Gratitude is that missing superpower that people need to win the weight as we continue down this trek of what we are doing and where we are going. So, guys, thanks so much again for joining us. Don't forget, you are a powerful force. Don't you dare, dare forget it. And keep being a beacon of light for others. I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon.